0: 7W classified top secret subject is. Hey kids, comics!
1: Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make
0: them better than they were before. Better.
2: hate kids comics. I'm Michael Leyland. And I'm Andrew Leyland. And this week we're continuing with our new 52 coverage with my choice of Swamp Thing.
1: Hoorah.
2: Hoorah. But before we begin,
1: we have a couple of things, bits of business to sort out. Here it is. I know I had it somewhere. First of all, I have to thank Michael Bailey. Thank you very much. If you are uh, our friend on Facebook... You saw that Michael sent me some stuff, ostensibly for my birthday, so thank you very much. Uh, It was a gorgeous package. Michael Bailey sent a gorgeous package. (laughs) Did he really? He did, yes. Somebody's (laughs) going to re-edit that. Yeah. So it says Andrew said Michael Bailey's got a great package. Uh, Within this lovely package was a copy of Superman number 75 open, so
2: I could actually see what was in it. Mm -hmm. which you thought was quite cool because I I bought I had a look through it before and I I went to check the uh, (laughs) armband did you? did it fit? you have to tie it or something Uh,
1: because I bought a copy of Superman 75 when we were on holiday but have not yet opened it Really? and now I don't have to Alright then. So Michael what said, was that your
2: third copy?
1: No, no, no. I'd never had a banged copy before. Oh, it's the third if you count yeah. the, that I've got the second print. I'm sure we had an argument about this. I'm, sure, it. I'm sure we did, yeah. Uh, a couple of issues of Web of Spider-Man that I didn't have. An issue of Amazing Spider-Man. That brings me that bit closer to completing my goal of having every issue from 150 onwards. You're still not that close though? I'm reasonably close. Okay. I'm not that far short. Sure. Uh, a robin trade paperback collecting the first six issues of robin. A Blue Ribbon Digest, which was the Superman one, because I've not got many of them, have I? No. I've got eight of them now, thanks to Michael, because they're quite expensive over here. They're the little colour pocket books that DC used to put out. Uh, the Story of Superman, a black and white paperback size reprint of Action Comics 500, okay. which is really good. Okay. I've got Action Comics 500 because Michael said it was one of his favourites, so I bought it off eBay, and it is really good. Okay. But it's great. And I have it. And now yeah. I have a little paperback, and It's lovely. I like the little black and white artwork. Uh, Marble Super Special number 27, Return of the Jedi, because mine's knackered, mm-hmm. and he had a spur one. But best of all...
2: Best of all. Best
1: of all. As I mentioned, if you're our friend on Facebook, you saw that Michael sent me an autographed picture of the Flash.
2: Not Dawson's dad.
1: Not Dawson Leary's dad, no. Not Mitch Leary. No, no, no. He's the Flash. You hear me? The Flash! Okay. So John Wesley Ship. Has sent me an autograph courtesy of Michael, and it even says "to Andy" in the UK. In the UK, just just see that clear. Yeah, just just because there's no other (laughs) Andy. So, uh, thank you. I've already thanked him on Facebook, and I've already sent him an email thanking him. But I figure that that was above and beyond Mm -hmm. the Call of Duty, not space above and beyond. No, that's uh, crap. No, it wasn't.
2: Yes, it was. And it
1: deserved a public thank you. So, thank you very much, Michael. It's much appreciated. I need to buy a frame now
2: for my 5. flash
1: photo. It is not better than Babylon 5. Secondly, is we need to bad? reiterate once again that if you are one of those people who has been wondering, well, how come you say that you're in season four, yet only seasons three and four are up on your iTunes feed and on the Podomatic webpage. What 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 are you people talking about? Our
2: answer to that is we're in season three, you just can't find seasons one and two.
1: Are we in season three? I thought we were in season four now. What is I season said, four now? I said
2: season four, but messed
1: up a bit. Oh, right, okay. Uh, so if you want seasons one and two, which covers such excellent topics as our coverage of the Star Wars mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Spider- Back and Return of the Jedi adaptation, Michael's first stab at completely producing the show on his own, the Blackest Night trilogy, uh, my first stab at doing one of these on my own mm-hmm. when you weren't around for one particular episode. I was at school. That I did on my own. Uh, all of these are returning. Thank you to the Scott Dog and Crazy Chris H over on 2TrueFreaks.libson.com. L-I-B-S-Y-M. Go over there, hit their feed, and you can listen to our old episodes. And not Dave.com. If you go on the website, which is www.heykidscomics.com, Virgin Media. I've forgotten the web address. Give me a second. Hey Luke,
2: Spock wears the same t-shirt I do.
1: It does. Spock wears the same t-shirt you do on the Two True Freaks network. Uh, if you go to our website www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com uh, I have put a link on the to the Two True Freaks internet radio network. It's at the very top. Uh, old episodes are available here. Click here and it will take you to the older episodes. But if you prefer to listen via embed If you scroll all the way down and click on the link that says to see our earlier topics and go to page two of our web page and scroll down to the bottom of page two, there are links to the episodes and you can listen as embeds as well. Um, The page looks a bit scruffy at the minute because I've really not spent time laying it out properly. But it is on there and you can go and check that out so if you want to listen to old episodes do that
2: Uh, in September I feel quite old now looking at those pictures what we did what we did back in
1: the day well yeah if you have a look at the website we've got pictures of everything we've covered so you can have a look at what you've missed
0: Mm.
1: and and salivate at the prospect of listening to two northern chancers with nothing better to do with their time Mm -hmm. talking about funny books for an hour back when we did hour length episodes (laughs) not even that Uh, next up spoiler last night Michael and I went watching The Dark Knight Rises
2: spoiler alert we read it in the 90s
1: uh, yes pretty much we are going to spoil the film for you now so if you don't want to know about The Dark Knight Rises or you haven't seen it yet or you're waiting for the DVD or whatever the hell reason there is um, you may want to skip ahead a couple of minutes
2: mm-hmm. Un- unless you skip ahead a couple of minutes and we get to the big spoiler unless like, we, not you, seen you it skip yet, ahead and to then. the minute and, and
1: we get to the bit where we tell you that Alfred is really Batman
2: <laughs> oh damn <laughs> it contradicts
1: the rest <laughs> of the <laughs> They contradict themselves all the time, anyway. <laughs> they do. Um, yeah, Dark Night
2: Rises. It's part Nightfall. It's part No Man's part Land. Part No Man's Land and with a dash of Dark Night Returns. It turns back into a reworked, isn't it, for Nightfall?
1: With a bit of Star to the Rafa Khan
2: thrown in for good measure. <laughs> do you not know think? Um,
1: it was. Let's set our stall out upright. Oh, Both okay. of us are not of the opinion that. Christopher Nolan's Batman movies are the best thing to hit superhero movie dom ever, are we? No. But neither are we huge detractors of certain Neither series. are we Scott Gunn. Yes, that's what I was trying to say without <laughs> actually saying it. Ah, okay. Because <laughs> Scott's not a fan. No. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Chris is slightly less of not a fan, but he's still not a fan. But yeah. <laughs> not quite to the level that Scott's not a fan. I think I just mangled Mm. the English language there, didn't I? Um, My personal opinion... I don't think we've ever talked about the Batman movies. Uh, I don't think we've we've ever really addressed them. Um, My personal take on Nolan's Batman movies is A. He deserves all the credit in the world for resurrecting a moribund franchise. Let's face it, after Batman and Robin, Mm -hmm. did we ever think we'd see a good Batman movie again?
2: it could have been a great Batman film as long as they'd not put a back credit card in yes well as long as they didn't put the back credit card in yeah.
1: so he deserves all the credit in the world for resurrecting the franchise and doing such a good job of making it appeal to everybody across the board there are people who've never read comics in their lives Mm -hmm. who have been salivating at
2: the prospects of this third Batman movie because it's not a comic movie it's a real movie. Yeah,
1: we'll see this is we'll get to that in a okay. minute. We will
2: address that topic. Um
1: secondly, I think he deserves all the credit in the world for being showing us a different way of adapting comics to the screen. Yeah. Prior to this, everyone kind of followed the Richard Donner template for Superman, didn't they? They followed the same basic template, big orchestral score and yeah. all that stuff. Um, Nolan kind of went the other way and downplayed it. He played In it very low-key. He, no, he did the THOOM! He recorded the <laughs> down The THOOM score, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So, week, we'll give him his plaudits on that. Then Josh Whedon came along and showed you that you could do a
2: superhero movie that was also fun. Yes, but I don't think it would have worked for Batman without it then turning into. What Adam West did with Batman. Yeah,
1: see, that's always the thing with Batman, isn't it? They're the deathly
2: yeah. terrified... You still a nice with Batman. Yeah, of
1: turning it into Adam West. Mm. So, Of the three, my favourite is still Batman Begins. Okay. You've got to get through a lot of Begins before you get to the Batman. <laughs> but it's still my favourite of the three, because it's a, it's a pretty decent origin tale. Mm. The new one is extremely choppily edited. Did you not think? Certainly the first half people would kind of stop the conversation. Like that, and it would go to another
2: scene. Yeah. And it was like, have they just cut off the end of a scene, though? And it seemed to be like New Frontier at the beginning, with having loads of different bits yeah. happen for about two minutes.
1: Yeah. And obviously they were seeding the plot, yeah. rather expositionally. It has to be said. Um, there are numerous plot threads in it that don't go anywhere, or have no real ultra-significance to the movie. Okay. Like the whole... I want to say it but your mum's here and I don't want to spoil it for her because she didn't get to come to the cinema with us Be gone, woman. Um, has the door shut? Has she shut the door? She got. she shut so the door. So wasn't it
2: a great bit when <laughs> at the end? Shut edge? up!
1: <laughs> shut up. So, uh, yes, Dark Knight Rises. So the whole subplot of Bruce Wayne being made bankrupt didn't seem to go anywhere. Okay. Or have any real impact on the story in any no, way. No, but it
2: seemed like they were following at the beginning of Nightfall in a different way. Yes. With him being disabled and not being able to be Batman. But why was he
1: disabled in this film? I mean, you and I talked about this walking home from the not cinema. not
2: done anything.
1: For the, 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 the movie establishes that Batman has not been in action since eight years. The Dark Knight, which, as of this film, was eight years prior to this so movie. It
2: was. So it's not happened yet.
1: Well, yeah. Rises will happen for you. Yeah, years. rises will happen for you. But, so it establishes that Batman hasn't been seen. And in this film, Bruce is in a bit of a sorry state. He's limping, his cartilage in his knees is all shot to hell, he's covered in scar tissue. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the Dark Knight, he didn't seem to be in particularly bad shape. So that was that was something that niggled me. I mean, you and I, again, we talked about this on the way home. They should have had a little montage scene at the beginning. Because somebody's already. Shot. Yeah, they somebody's already mentioned its similarity to Rocky III. And it, that is very true. But was that you? No, no, I think somebody else mentioned it as well. So Several times in it. the cinema. Yeah. This is Rocky. Well, that's, this is Star Trek. This is Star Trek too. Uh, there's no such thing as an original idea. Um, not when you... They should when have had, a, had a montage scene or a pre-credit sequence establishing that Batman carried on after the Dark Knight uh, for a couple of years, cleaning up the streets. Mm. And we should have seen him get wounded in those scenes and maybe see some B-led, B-grade villains that you wouldn't obviously let's see Firefly and Crazy Quilt Firefly
2: yeah yeah let's see Firefly well,
1: 13 episodes well it. not that Firefly maybe not Crazy Quilt yeah. D- the villains that you're not going to get in a movie Calendar Man yeah Calendar Man would have been yeah maybe maybe not Calendar Man could have worked Calendar Man could have worked yeah I'm sure they could have made it work but yeah it was some of the fight scenes were very sloppily staged yeah I'm thinking particularly of the scene where Batman's in the tunnel with Joseph Gordon leave it's character and they all swarm on him. But then they just stop while he takes them out one at a time. I'd be like, why did you not just rush it Wait in? for this to turn into a video yeah, game. There was another bit where I leaned over to you. Oh yeah, when Commissioner Gordon gets shot in the sewers when he's fighting with Bane yeah. and he falls out and the guy actually says to Bane these sewer tunnels could lead anywhere they go out any number of exits yeah. and it, but it just happened to go out the exit that Joseph Gordon Leavitt was waiting John Blake was waiting for him that was a huge coincidence there was the whole thing of well how did Bruce
2: get back to Gotham because he's Batman but we, we accepted the explanation because no, he's Batman just, just so I could accept it I mm. made up this thing in my head where he got onto one of the food delivery trucks. Yeah, okay. Just, I, just so I was that it, much happier it, with the film. All right, it,
1: well, it was one of those things we originally both looked at each other and said, how's he got back into Gotham he's if he cut Batman. off all the exits? But we accepted the explanation because he's Batman. Yeah. So we, we both bought into that, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, the ending was telegraphed from about 30 minutes into the film,
0: mm-hmm.
1: wasn't it? If you've got an ounce of knowledge of screenwriting, you knew how that film was going to end. And then it then ended differently and I was let down. No, it didn't end differently. It ended exactly as it was set up in the film. Yeah.
2: You were expecting a different ending. I was expecting to end it with the... Yeah. But no, they had to go out of the way to annoy me. Well, yeah, okay. Uh,
1: Selena Kyle, Anne Hathaway was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I thought she was an exceptionally good catwoman. Um, there's a part of me that... Appreciates that Nolan and Goya and Christian Bale have told their story and can you m- we can now move on. It was good, for what it was, it was fine, but that's their interpretation of Batman mm-hmm.
0: and it's
2: time to go and do something and different. And the stupid interpretation of radiation.
0: You, yes, yeah, you had
2: real <laughs> problems with that, didn't you? It would have been radioactive before <laughs> the bomb set off. Yes. Gordon yes. now has cancer. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. That God would have had cancer. What did you think of Bane? Um I liked it in the sense well i didn't they really did a, they did a moderately good job of
1: adapting the comics origin,
2: making it differently,
1: but doing it slightly differently mm. and they did a moderately good job of taking the the basic premise of nightfall, yeah, and adapting it to the screen
2: I thought Bane 's origin was even better once you had the twist ending as to who the yes. bad guy is
1: yeah the the main bad guy is not who you think it is, but again. It kind of is. It's kind of telegraphed.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. We're leaving some things vague because we don't want to ruin the whole thing. We're not going to give the big reveal from the very end of the movie away. But let's not ruin that one. No. Oh, I've I already myself. On the whole, it was okay, wasn't yeah. it? It was like all three of them. It was okay. The second one was okay. It's riveting when Heath Ledger's on screen, the second one. But he's not playing the Joker. Okay. But it's still a mesmerising performance, even though he's not playing the Joker. He's playing some guy in clown makeup who's insane, but he's not the Joker. Right, or he's not who I think the Joker is. Right. So so that was The Dark Knight Rises. Before we move on to the meat of tonight's show, which young Michael is, is taking the... The uh, vegetarian alternative or, to meat. Oh, the vegetarian because alternative to meat. That. I saw what you did there. We have emails. Always nice to get emails. From people. Um, first email is called Beyond the Animated Frontier. Oh. And who's it from, Michael? Sure.
2: Some bloke who never emails us.
1: <laughs> it's actually from some bloke who emails all the time. All the time. It's Luke oh Ahoy there, Leylands! Hello there, Luke. If this is about G.I. Joe, I swear to God, I'm going to shoot some <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like, when did we become a G.I. Joe podcast? We, we need to cover an issue of G.I. Joe to yes.
0: get it out of the way, don't we? Yeah. So
1: we, we've done it. Everyone can email in about the G.I. Joe issue we did. And have a reason to. And have a reason to. And then we've done it and we move on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, thanks, Luke, for emailing in. Oh, we've not finished it yet. I'm thanking him and we've not finished You know, I usually write such long emails to you guys. Yeah, we like them. Carry on. And I have a decent amount of notes for you our finale for New Frontier. Oh, good. But you know what? This is your show, so I should let you guys get to it, not drone on with my own ramblings. But this part of the show is for your ramblings. It is.
2: That's the whole point of it. We say that and then it comes to editing and we wish that we didn't do emails.
1: No, we don't. We don't wish that we didn't do emails in the editing process. Do we Although not? underscoring the emails is a bit... I don't underscore the emails. I didn't last week because I ran out of time. Fair enough. So last week's email but has no underscore. I do apologise, but... Uh, so, a few thoughts on the show and the new Frontier film. Neil Patrick Harris as The Flash was the highlight of the film for me, says Luke I thought he brought just the right bit of nerdiness to the role, which you need for Barry Allen who really should be the sort of like your nerdy uncle who works in a lab sort of character but there was a slight edge to his portrayal as well Nobody messes with my iris. Which hints at the most serious aspects of the character as well. I also like Jeremy sister. Yeah, he's different than Kevin Conroy, but I thought his voice was well-suited to this Batman. Miguel Ferrer did a bang-up job as both the Martian Manhunter and Detective John Jones. His barking, You're scaring the boy! line to Batman hit the perfect Joe Friday note, which I always want to attribute it to John Jones. Um, yeah. See, Jeremy sister didn't leave much of an impression. He wasn't bad, by was any he means. He's
2: Batman. Yeah.
1: He just yeah. didn't leave much
2: of an impression on I us. Didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think he was a Batman. He was hard. He was
1: okay. He wasn't awful. You weren't sat there going, that's not what Batman sounds like. Mm. So t- t- we'll give and him Yeah, I was for three hours yesterday. <laughs> Why, what were you listening to? Oh, but <laughs> Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. You really hate Batman voice, don't you? Yeah. And, and we've got another, fun. we've got a new Swear to Me. <laughs> Where's
2: the detonator? <laughs> Where's the detonator? Swear to me. <laughs> we said we wouldn't do that again, it got old. Yeah. D.E.'s voice in those movies sounds like a crazy Mexican wrestler meet Rocky. If Rocky was a Mexican wrestler that would be <laughs> you, Adrian! you, Adrian! Especially the end when D.E. gets crippled and he's like Man, you
0: must dead dude!
2: Oh, dear me. Should I carry on with Luke Seymour? You can carry on with I agree that
1: this was really a very light adaptation of the story. I suspect you guys are right that the John Henry stuff would have pushed the PG-13 rating, even in animated form. Like The Dark Knight Returns, New Frontier would have benefited from being spread out over two films. But as fate would have it, New Frontier was sort of the proof that this format was truly viable. It outsold Superman Doomsday by a good margin, and received a good deal of mainstream entertainment industry press. Had New Frontier not been made, these DTV movies might not have lasted at all, so it's a catch. 22. That said, I think for a 75 minute movie, New Frontier is really solid entertainment. Um, Yeah, see, the problem that we have is the whole point of the show that we did was to compare the comics of the film. And unfortunately, the, the film came up short compared to the comic Mm -hmm. now had I not been watching it for this for the show it would have been enjoyable I would have enjoyed it a lot more probably because you're not watching it with a view to picking it to bits that's the whole point of critically analysing something Mm -hmm. you're looking at it and and looking at the bits that work and the bits that don't work recently I got older Batman Year One it was in HMV for a fiver I bought it I watched it I enjoyed it I suspect if we'd read Year One and and then then watched Year One with a view to comparing the two I perhaps wouldn't have enjoyed it as much so there is the downside that let's say I did not not enjoy New Frontier. Okay. I enjoyed it so much. I watched Batman Year One and then Justice League Doom the next day. All right. Then. So it, it got me in the mood for watching more animated movies. Were they both good? Justice League Doom, I think, was better than Batman Year One. Not would. No. Okay. Okay. Some other notes, Andy. I like the Green Lantern film as well. See, I'm not alone. <laughs> I told you I wasn't alone. You're right. It's just you two. It's just us two. <laughs> It was me and Luke in the uh, We Actually Didn't Hate the Green Lantern Movie Fan Club. Yep. <laughs> That's a Facebook page in the making, isn't it? There's two two people in it, me and Luke. <laughs> oh, dear. I like that it was not dark and claustrophobic and overly self-important like the Nolan Batman films. It had funny elements and a certain light touch, which I think served the character very well. I would really, really like to see a Barry Allen Flash film made in the same vein. Light-hearted does not mean silly, I say. Michael, I think I heard you briefly mutter License Revoked when your father made a comment about Batman Beyond being called Batman of the future in the UK. I assume this is a reference to the 1989 James Bond film License to Kill, which initially was called License Revoked, but later changed. The reason is often cited that the majority of people didn't know what revoked meant, but apparently the truth is more that this was done to avoid confusion with the John Gardner James Bond novel License Renewed. Also, the title License to Kill was spelled using the English spelling of the word license with a C instead of an S, which confused the heck out of movie reviewers and copy editors. Well, if you guys spelt properly, you know, there would be no confusion. Um, I've heard numerous reasons why they changed the title from Licence Revoked to Licence to Kill. Um, Ultimately, my feeling on it is, if you think of James Bond, you think of a number of things. One, the Tuxedo. Two, the Aston Martin. Bond, James Bond 007. And that he has a license to kill. So it was never a big deal to me that they changed the title of that film. It's not like they changed the title to it in America only. Yeah. And the rest of the world got a different title. Because it always bugs me when they do that. They change the title for one territory. That being said, I actually think Avengers Assemble is a better title than than The Avengers. I just liked it more. I bitched and whined about it when they were doing it. Yeah. But having seen the film, I think Avengers Assemble is a better title. Especially seeing as they don't actually say Avengers Assemble in the film. Would that
2: not annoy you, though? No. Because it, it kind of, it, it gives you that, so you even though they don't speak, say it in the you film. you want Thor to speak in...
1: No, I don't um, want him to all speak in ye olde Shakespearean speak, because I can see how that would be off-putting. But a single I say thee nay would have been nice. So you
2: wanted an I say thee nay, but not an Avengers Assemble?
1: No, I, I would have liked an <laughs> Avengers Assemble. But what I'm saying is because we didn't get an Avengers Assemble, we got in the title. calling it Avengers Assemble was a nice little nod to that okay that's my Joss Whedon
2: was calling the battle
1: cry yes Joss Whedon was saying Avengers come together oh, okay no what is it no Titans assembled no <laughs> whatever Andy there is one aspect of the novel Goldfinger which I'll put over the movie in the famous interrogation scene in the movie you remember the scene don't you which Surely you don't expect me to talk, Goldfinger. Oh, right. No, Mr. Bond. I expect you to die. The laser to the ball. Yeah. Goldfinger has a laser pointed at Bond's crotch. As horrifying as that is, in the novel, you recall, it was a giant circular buzzsaw. Yikes. Yes. Yes, it was. I do like, in the Goldfinger novel, there's a line that Bond believed. There's loads of lovely little bits... As you read the Ian Fleming books of Bon Psyche okay. and his belief that the British Empire fell because of our addiction to tea he calls it a cup of mud can't stand the stuff bring me coffee woman okay. that's what he says bring me a coffee woman so sexist in those books it's hysterical run along dear. <laughs> yeah also Andy and I have discussed that you could update Moonraker but honestly I'm happy with Drax wanting to wipe out life on Earth from his space station From the very first day on Earth, they will be able to look up and know there is law and order in the heavens. Yeah, see, I've said this to Luke before. Moonraker gets a bad rap. But I think with a bit of editing, Moonraker's a solid entertainment. And it's got some fantastic lines in it, Moonraker. Okay. Mr Bond. Mr Bond, you seem to avoid all the ways I can concoct an amusing death for you. Or something like that. And there's another one later on where he says, take Mr Bond. Put him out of my misery. Yeah. Which is just a brilliant line. So for all its flaws... I, I quite like Moonwrecker. If you guys will watch a James Bond movie as a Couch Potato Special, I will gladly, gladly, and he's put that in parentheses, record myself singing the theme song and send it to you to cut into the show, especially if it's one of Shirley Bassey's songs. <laughs> well, as nice an idea as that is, yeah. I don't know if it really fits our remit. Do you think we should do a series of episodes that's nothing to do with comics?
2: So we could do oh, stuff
1: like our we, favourite Bond movies. Or
2: we could tell him we're doing a Bond film and then get him to sing a shit. And, and just put it on the film. Oh, well, I
1: was going to say, you don't have to wait for that, Luke. Yeah. If you want to send us a recording of you singing Goldfinger <laughs> or Diamonds Are Forever or Moonraker, feel free, we'll play it, dude. We'll put it in the show for you. Of those, oh, which is your favourite of those three? I don't
0: know.
1: Diamonds Are
0: Forever!
2: I don't think they have a favourite Bond theme. Do you not?
0: No.
1: Okay. So we'll pull that to the vote to the audience vote would you like us to do a special series of shows when we hit the Two True Freaks Network properly mm-hmm. when we're releasing new episodes exclusively with them would you like us to do a series of shows where we don't do comics and we do like our favourite Bond movies and our top ten favourite television shows okay. and top ten favourite TV themes hey kids and stuff like slack that off. yeah Hey Kids Slack Off well, we don't do comics for a month. We talk about other stuff. Because there's people saying, would you do a commentary on Spartacus? <laughs> that was Gabriel, wasn't it? Was it? And it's like, I, I don't really know that we could fit that in with the show's remit, to be honest. As fun though it may be. Yeah. yeah but to go, oh wow, that head came off really well.
2: Ah, uh, that head's coming off really well. Oh,
1: excellent. And now he's flopping his, 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 head his, his manhood around. I don't want to see that. Oh, Illithia's just got naked. Brilliant. That's what I want to say. So that, that may be fun. <laughs> but, that, you know. Um, looking forward to Flashpoint. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Because mm. as we record this, you've heard that episode.
2: He's not Thanks, kept.
1: Luke. Um, P.S. I guess this wasn't a shot of us trying to make it. <laughs> oh, well. Now, don't try and make a shot, Luke. If you're going to email in, carry on doing what you're doing. Because we like what you're doing. Our next email is from David Weeter, J. David Weeter, of Pad Smash, okay. an incredible hook podcast that ah. he does with Michael Bailey and Lee Bailey. Oh, and Lou Jacanetti does Earth Destruction Directive, which is also available on the Two True Freaks Network. Are we, are we
2: all two true freaks? Yeah.
1: Yes, we are all. We have all sold our souls to the Demanzo Corporation. Those Asian hookers keep coming round. <laughs> I keep telling them I'm not interested. I keep sending them your way, but your girlfriend just glows at them. I think it's Adam who uses them. That would explain a great many things. <laughs> Hello, lovely Leylands, begins David. Hello, lovely Mr Weeter. Once again, I'm floored by your show. Oh, thank you very much. I, I hope that's a compliment. I hope that doesn't mean that he's passed out due to the inanity. <laughs> and on he's way, he was passing out. He banged his head on the floor. <laughs> the awfulness. <laughs> and he yeah, sat there on the floor. Going, Why do I listen to this drip? New Frontier is a rare, rare book, continues David's email, that really shows what the comics medium can do when the right creator has the right idea and the talent to pull it off. Andrew, you said on Facebook that you wondered if people would enjoy two hours of gushing. They most certainly would, or do, and that there are only a handful of books that are worthy of gushing, and this book certainly is on that list. Darwin Cook's art style is crisp and honed by years in animation, and his Superman is so superb I have a tattoo of it on my arm. Oh, put that on Facebook, David! I want to see that. Okay. Because I've got a Superman tattoo. Yes. Man's yeah. nowhere near as cool as a Darwin Cook Superman Especially tattoo. Especially when the guy messed up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's... The S looks funny. Yeah, the S. But it's nice though. Oh. I like it. Yeah, put a picture of that on Facebook if you haven't already. If you have, just show me where it is and I'll go and have a look. Uh, but beyond the curve-setting art, this is a masterful handling of the characters and a political story that manages not to be preachy that in in itself is a feat that is as rare as a copy of Action Comics number one. The three episodes featuring your coverage of this book are a shining example of why this podcast accompanies me on my late night drives every week, a time that is my own private reflection of my week. My car has become my own mobile fortress of solitude. But the Leyland family is always along for this time because your fandom is unabashed and pure. This goes a long way towards infecting other fans with enthusiasm, which in my opinion is a bit of an unspoken mission statement amongst podcasters.
2: Thank you very much, David. We appreciate that. Don't. Still, no idea what it means
1: with Action Comics One being right Have oh, you have got about six, haven't you? Yeah. Do you do you use one for lighting your cigars? <laughs> you roll it up and set it on fire and light your cigar with it. I've, I've got one upstairs. Oh yeah. yeah, excellent. Yeah. No, we appreciate that a bit. But would you go driving, David? We like the idea to work that we are driving around with him late at night. I like, I like to think that he's he's somewhere completely deserted, and it's one of those big American highways that goes off into the. Miles away into the distance, with a Demanzo Asian hooker sat with necessary? a Demand- <laughs> Demanzo Asian hooker on the side of the road, thumbing a left and there's deserts and mountains at the side. And if you look really carefully, the mob are burying another body just <laughs> over that hill over there. That's what I. That's what I picture. Yeah. It's probably nothing like that. Probably nothing like that at all. Um, this is an overly long winded way of saying you're doing your job at a top notch level. So keep it up. Yeah, but unlike a job, we
2: don't get paid.
1: It's only if, only you we get paid. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Mm.
2: We get paid in Michael Bailey's
1: Yeah, we get paid when Michael Bailey sells us. Yeah, Mike (laughs) Bailey's package gives us more than enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was a lovely package. On the note on the DVD, Darwin Cook was a former boxer, so having him fight wildcat Ted Grant was a bit of an in-joke. I don't think that was the reason behind the change, but a nice bit of useless trivia. Yeah, it is. Mm. That's a nice bit of useless trivia. Looking forward to my next drive with you fellows. With gratitude and respect, J. David Weeter. Well, thank you very much, David. We do appreciate your kind words. I've mentioned that he does Pad Smash with the aforementioned Mike Bailey
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Lee Busby. Our next email is from the aforementioned Michael Bailey. Hello, Michael. Hello, Hello, the Leylands. This Michael. Ah. Not you, Michael. Mikey Mike B. Uh, he, 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 the subject heading for this is JLA New Frontier, so that gives you an idea what he's, he's talking about. First, let me congratulate Michael on finishing high school. Good on you, sir. I remember when I graduated high school back in 1994. Before you were born. (laughs) Now I feel old. Drat. Not as old as I feel, dude. When you've got a child who is graduating high school, then you'll feel old. Graduated. Graduated. Yeah, you've actually left. Oh, two two months ago. Oh, I need to give Michael another shout-out. Do you? Yeah, he sent me the audio commentary for New Frontier. Okay. Via MP3, which I've listened to is it good it is actually Darwin Cook's very interesting okay. it's a very good commentary and he sent me a link to the 60 minute documentary that's on the disc all about the history of the jailer which yeah. was fascinating which you were watching day. yeah because Stan Lee's on it
2: okay it was very good I really enjoyed that documentary and what's he talking about how Avengers is a much better title than <laughs>
1: how The Avengers is much better than Justice League and how yeah. that Justice League concept was no good till I got
2: a hold of it, true believer. How if Jack Kirby was working on Justice League he would have stolen the rights for that too.
1: Oh,
2: <laughs> now, now, he's entitled to some of it.
1: Not Michael's hot. email continues, your coverage of DC New Frontier has been a real treat but I have to say, ooh, does that mean he didn't like something? Mm. That your analysis of the movie was probably the most interesting chapter of the trilogy. I love it when people use the word interesting as if it, to say, hmm, yeah. <laughs> I didn't like it, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah. After two weeks of listening to you both gush about the original comic book series, it was interesting to hear you be a bit more critical of the animated adaptation. This is by no means a negative criticism, but it was a weird switching of gears, so to speak. But I'll get that into a minute. Uh, as we mentioned in Luke's email, it is, it's one of those things that when you're looking at it for the show... Trying to defend yourself already. No, I'm not trying to defend myself. I stand by that show. Yeah. I've listened back to it after I read this email. And Luke's email, which did seem a bit disappointed that we were so critical. So I went back and I listened to it. And I thought, my personal opinion is that we were not too critical of it. It's my opinion. Other people may disagree, and that's fine. It's my opinion that we did what we set out to do, which was purely to compare the animated adaptation to the comic. And I stand by my opinion that, in comparison, the animated movie does not come out as good. Yeah, you see, I was looking for the proper expression there. It does, it, no, but you're right. Basically, it does not come out as good as the comic when compared on a like for like basis. Mm-hmm. Viewed as one of the DC animated movies that I've seen, and I've seen most of them now, um, New Frontier is at the top of the heap. So it's all, it all, it's context is everything. If you're comparing this to the other DC animated movies, it's one of the best ones. If you're comparing it to its actual source material, because it is, I believe, one of the first ones they did that is actually a direct adaptation of the comics, Mm. isn't it? And then they started doing Batman Year One and The Dark Knight Returns and Justice League Doom and Superman vs. The Elite but Superman Doomsday, they changed significantly, Yeah. and the Batman ones prior to that, Mask of the Phantasm and Mystery of the Batwoman and Sub-Zero and the, were uh, all new stories Yeah. they weren't adapted from the comics so in that, in that scenario then it, it was a trendsetter it started direct adaptations of comic book stories, which I approve of but we we'll, let's see what Michael says as we go along before I go further, the Marvel trivia thing at the beginning was brilliant I liked it quite a bit and if you make that a regular feature I'm down with that. Oh well we'll do that again Wanda. Okay. Uh, I thought it was a bit longer, at 17 minutes. Oh But the audience is saying that it wasn't uh-huh. and I, I, I will defer to well, the audience one member of the audience one member yeah everyone else has, has, has been too polite to say god that went on too long T- two words one good review means everyone likes it yeah well you know if you're not going to email in and tell us what you <laughs> thought then basically we can only take the representative sample yep. that we have can't we and this representative sample of the four emails that we got this month only one Move of on. them mentioned this week only one, one of them mentioned the Marvel trivia thing Yeah. so that's 25% of your audience and he approved of it. So 25% of your audience have given you a thumbs up for
2: that.
1: 100%. <laughs> In our head. <laughs> yeah. So that's 100% of the audience loved it. So there you go. We're, we're going to take that. Yep. We're going to take that and keep that. Anyhow, I love this film. I love the animation. I love the score. Oh, well, we've no arguments, though. The score's brilliant. I love the cast. Andy mentioned that Kyle McLachlan was on an episode of How I Met Your Mother with Neil Patrick Harris. To bring it all back to Superman for a moment, Kyle was also a regular on Desperate Housewives, which featured mm-hmm. Terry Hatcher, Dana Delaney and John Hames Newton. So Superman, Lois Lane, Lois Lane and Superboy all appeared in the same show together. I thought Kyle made a fantastic Superman I was quite impressed with his performance. Andy also mentioned that Neil Patrick Harris played Spider-Man in that god-awful MTV oh. animated series that looked like someone took the cutscenes from a video game and edited them together into a series. <laughs> Harris also voiced Nightwing in Batman Under the Red Hood directed DVD film and I thought he was perfect in the role. Are you going to rebut that, that Spider-Man animated series, Desta? No, the, the animation point's quite... Yeah, but you like that series, don't you? I, I do, yeah. Yeah, but the animation does look like cutscenes.
2: But it... That <laughs> I know if you liked it, you liked it. I do, but he has a fair point now. That's fair enough. That's all right.
1: I didn't remember Neil Patrick Harris being in Under the Red Hood. That's the one with Jensen Ackles
2: in, isn't it? Where he's Daredevil. Yeah, Deadpool. Nightwing. No, Jensen J- Ackles, Deadpool. Jensen Ackles is... Is he? Deadpool. I thought he was Batman. No, Under the Red Hood, he's Deadpool.
1: Okay. Deadpool's not in Under the Red Hood. <laughs> Okay. You're just messing uh, it with the me
0: under, uh, under the
1: Red ra- Oh, very good. Yeah. God I'm slow tonight. I was also impressed with Jeremy Sisto as the Batman. Sure, he's no Kevin Conroy, but he did a much better better job than William Baldwin in Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. To continue the game, I played with Kyle McLachlan, except with Batman. I'm somewhat amused that Sisto played the jerk that kicked Alicia Silverstone out of his car after coming onto her in the movie Clueless. So Batman came out to Batgirl. She told him no, so he kicks her to the curb, literally. Also, and this is really stretching it, but Sisto played a detective in the final seasons of Law and Order. Linus Roach, who played Thomas Wayne in Batman Begins, was the assistant, assistant DA in those final seasons as well. So Batman would arrest people and then his dad would prosecute them. (laughs) (laughs) Six degrees of separation with comic book actors. Now, I will admit that initially I was a little... I don't know how to say it. Put off feels too strong. Whatever the word is, I found it a tad distressing to hear you guys be so down on the latter half of the movie. As I said at the top of this email, you've given us two weeks of nothing but glowing praise. So I guess I set up in my head that you would love the animated version. The fact that you didn't was a real surprise. I never felt that you were tearing the film apart for your own petty amusement. Good, because I, I don't think we've ever done that. Yeah. Even the 1970 Spider-Man episode we did a couch potato for, we didn't rip it apart for our own petty amusement. We ripped it apart for our... Because it... We ripped it apart because... It... No, I, I think we were moderately positive about that. I, at the very least, you I kept can't, saying... at least tried
2: to be. I, I at least tried to be, and I at least kept saying,
1: well, the costume looks all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, I interrupted Michael's email. Uh, it was still a bit strange for me. I guess the really weird part of me was listening to the criticism realising, for the most part, you guys were right. Some of the changes did pale in comparison to the source material. At that point, I actually appreciate your comments all the more because they made me think how I truly feel about the film. I'm one of those weird people that actually enjoys when someone criticises something I like because it causes me to re-evaluate my position and then either agree with what was said or come up with an argument for my original position. In the case of JLA New Frontier, I think the filmmakers captured the essence of the source material but sometimes sacrificed some of the more complex themes for cool visuals. I have a healthy respect for Andy's position on source material versus adaptation. I may not always agree with it, but I respect Andy's conviction. I also agree with him about Jaws. The boot was fine, but the writer did travel down some roads he really didn't need to, like the affair that happens halfway through the boot, which seems to come from nowhere. The movie was definitely better. Side note, for a few years now I've been meaning to track down the novel L.A. Confidential because I loved the movie so much. Now I don't know if I should. I love that film so much that I wouldn't want to see it ruined. This is going to require some serious thought. Um. see that's difficult I? I would say read the book Okay. because the book is an exceptional piece of work it made me a James Elroy fan mm-hmm. it's an exceptional piece of work given the thickness of it and how quick I tore through it it's a wonderful book you may not have but the same reaction the film, no, so. Michael may not have the same reaction to me Michael may not come away from that book and instantly dislike the film I don't dislike the film I think the film still has many strong points Mm -hmm. I was just so disappointed with how simplistic the film was compared to the book when in fact the film is actually quite complex Yeah. but compared to the book it's like a a crayon version it's the CBeebies version (laughs) of LA Confidential Um, I mean it's up to you ultimately I would heartily recommend the book but you, Michael, you seem to be able to differentiate completely from adaptations than me I always look at it with the view that the book is better because okay. that was something that was just drilled into me at a very early age and it's something that I've never got over if something's adapting a book, the book is always better except for the couple of occasions that I've mentioned mm-hmm. but if you don't have that problem if you can watch the film having read the book and go, oh yeah, the film's okay then fine. But I do recommend the book, because it's really good. In conclusion, I want to say how much I've enjoyed these past three weeks' worth of shows. You've reminded me why I love this story so much and give me an excuse to crack open my absolute and reread it. You all do an excellent work, and even though I haven't yet read it, I'm looking forward to the Flashpoint episode next week. Until then, take care and cheers, mates. Thanks, Michael. We appreciate your critical email. Mm -hmm. We do like critical email, especially when they're thoughtful critiques. Um our next email is from Kenneth Laster. Hello, Kenneth. Hello Kenneth. Really long Flashpoint New fifty two email. Hey Leylands, hey Kenneth. Hey Earl, hey Crabman <laughs> I made a list of notes from the previous Flashpoint episode and I thought I would streamline them into an email. Flashback to twenty
0: eleven. <laughs>
1: Younger me was only reading random issues of Batman and Teen Titans because he couldn't find any books that allowed a jumping-on point. But then, in a streak of light, a book appears, with the Flash running towards the reader with a shiny new number one on it. It was then I decided I would not miss an issue of this series. At the time, I was happy to be reading a new story, but eventually, when DC announced the new 52, I was even more excited, not only because I'd been picking up the new storyline, I'd been picking up the beginning of a new age. During the recap, I noticed that a few points from Flashpoint are showing up in new books, such as Element Woman showing up in a later issue of Justice League and The Trinity War. Shazam with Billy Batson's foster siblings. Since I only read the main series I feel it is a different read as we are seeing the world from Barry's point of view and there is something we don't understand it's meant to be that way unless we choose with our wallets to learn more. I really enjoyed much of the personal aspects of the story as though the ending with Bruce and the letter gave me chills and I loved how it hasn't lost its weight as it was referenced in a recent Justice League issue. I'm a huge fan of Flashpoint and the New 52. I enjoy the New 52 because not only can I get on board with the characters that I've always wanted to read with no baggage but it seems to have eliminated many negative tropes that comics have been pinned with. The gratuitous violence and the beheading and the castrating seems to have been laid to rest at least in the cape books. The edge and the dark I wouldn't know. A lot of people have been quite negative on the New 52 because they know what has been changed. My response is to them to calm down. There are people who don't have anything to know and just stay for the ride until we have another revamp in 20 or 30 years time. Then I get to complain. And yes, many of the characters have gone missing, but that's because they don't exist yet. Soon in another about a year or so, there will be a continuity and a history that people will enjoy. Some readers may come back and some may not, but unless DC pulls out of this change just because people don't want to share their books, then I'll lose faith in comics totally and just read archives and essentials. I love many older stories, but comics need to change once in a while to get new readers. Not many people have the advantage of reading for a while and may have read older stories but never got to read a title monthly. That's all an excellent point. It is. And it is one of the reasons that we are doing New 52 Month. Because one of the remits for the show, one of the many remits for the show... Yes. Most of which we never stuck to. No. <laughs> we drew up a list of what we wanted the show to be, didn't we? Yeah. In an effort to be different from everybody else's show. And how many have we stuck with? Well, Other than it's two generations of comic fans which we have no choice but to stick the to. We got
2: rid of you pick an issue yeah, and I we, we got rid of that. And we got rid
1: of putting music in to differentiate it from other shows. I haven't... Well, you know what I mean. Musical interludes. And, but, and we, we've even done themed months... And even some of the things... I've listened to the very first episode last week. Oh, because okay. it went live on two three three. Yeah, for the first ten minutes, I was embarrassed to listen to it. Yeah. I do appreciate... This isn't self-effacing. I do appreciate the people who got in touch and said they really enjoyed it. But
2: I... it must have took some effort to
1: say that. No, let's see... It is always different listening to yourself. And I will say that. But I did grow an appreciation for George Lucas re-listening to that, because okay. I, if I had the raw audio files for that, still, okay. I would be tempted to go back and make a special edition of it for re-releasing on 2 True Freaks, right. because some of the editing was sloppy as hell, and there were so many pregnant pauses that I didn't cut out, mm-hmm. and cutting to the music was badly done. That being said, you were really good. Was that? Yeah, I was more embarrassed about me than you, because I hadn't quite mastered this whole talking Even to nobody.
2: Uh, I talked a lot Yeah, no, see, well, the
1: difference is, I think, I script a lot of this. Yeah. Even my ad-libs. No one's ever got that joke. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we go off on tangents, but by and large, I follow a script. Whereas you don't. You read the issues and you talk off the cuff, for the most part. You'll make a few notes, but for the most part, you go off the cuff. So what that meant was, that first episode, you were a bit stiffer than you are now, (laughs) but your off-the-cuff stuff, which you do so very well, was very funny. Okay. because you've not really changed how you do it, you've just got better at doing what you do. Right. Whereas I was... You could tell it was, when it was I went it. to script yeah. and when I went to Adelaide. whereas I think we've got a bit better at mixing the two. Hmm. I'd, like I said, it isn't self-effacement. I do appreciate all the people that said they enjoyed that first episode. But one of the reasons to get back on topic... For doing new 52 month is that I know there are a lot of people my age and around my age who are very down on it. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are younger readers like Michael who are totally digging it. And it is The Crisis on Infinite Earths. The Burn Superman revamp is my Superman. As much as I like the Carrie Bates, Kurt Swan stuff, Burn Superman was the one I bought every month. And post-crisis Batman not so much because I was liking pre-crisis Batman. But certainly when you get into the Alan Grant Nightfall stuff... Hmm. that's my Batman and that w- arguably wouldn't have happened without the crisis and the Teen Titans and all of that stuff and Wally West as the Flash and etc so I do we are looking I think we're looking at it fairly
0: yeah
1: and we're looking at a broad spectrum of books we, we hope you enjoy it as much as we've enjoyed doing it so far <laughs> have but you enjoyed it yes I have I mean I've not read Animal Man yet because we've not recorded that episode mm-hmm. but I've read Swamp Thing and I've read The Flash and I've read Justice League yeah and for the most part... See, for the most part, I'm not completely down on New 52. There are books that I'm not liking, so I'm just not reading them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've said before, I think the Batman books are at the best they've been in a long time. Yeah. I know you love Grant
2: Morrison, but, but my personal thinking Grant is... Man is something you have to have re- read all of them. Yeah,
1: and it's, it's also... My personal opinion on that is DC was giving him too much freedom. And he's not communicating his ideas to other people. So what's happening with Superman at the minute? I think the Superman book is strangleholded by the fact that Grant's doing action comics, which is Superman's early days, but not telling anyone else what he's planning. And they can't do anything contradicting. Yeah, yeah. They can't react to his stories. They have been
2: doing yeah after the fact.
1: Yeah, but it's. I think they've given one man too much control.
2: Well, he's he's going
1: into So now he's just doing Batman Incorporated. I can comfortably ignore that and enjoy what Scott Snyder's doing. Mm -hmm. so it's working Batman is working better for me now than it was previously Batman and Robin is tying into Morrison Batman Incorporated and I think The Flash is the best pure superhero book on the market Okay. Uh, from DC yeah for me including other companies it's a two way tie with Daredevil hmm from, from Mark. Is
0: that still up there? Yeah.
1: Mark Waid's Daredevil's fantastic. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode to get back to Kenneth's email and I love the epic coverage. I really enjoyed the Michael edited episodes mainly due to the style of music at certain points. No offence, Andrew. No, I'm oh, thank you. Yeah. I like turning it over to Michael every now and again okay. because it is... It, the, you cannot tell with certain shows like 2, 3, 3 you can't tell when Scott edited it and when Chris edited it they, do, they have essentially two minds in a single body yeah. they do such a good job of keeping that show uniform I think you do a really good job of editing the show okay. when you've done it and you've done a really good job of it still sounds like our show but when you edit it it sounds like a slightly skewed version of our show Okay. and it's really good I really enjoyed listening to Flashpoint. I listened you. to it twice did you? just because of that the way good. you'd edited it yeah and I don't normally do that. I mm-hmm. normally listen to it when after I've edited because I've fed up with it by that point. <laughs> I've listened to it when we record it. I've listened to it when editing and, and editing and as when, you know yeah. is a four or five hour process and then I listen to it when I go out for a run to make sure it all sounds okay and there's no last minute changes I want to make mm-hmm. like when I had to cut out your derogatory <laughs> reference during the uh, kid video video. It was funny. It was very funny. <laughs> I didn't want you getting leapt on by a bunch of people with no sense of humour okay. so I cut it out for you. Mm-hmm. I felt I think our audience is very humorous. I like to give our audience benefit of the doubt. But it was funny. (laughs) It was a bit derogatory. Yes. But it was still very... And see, the thing with I know you, and I know that it was a joke. Mm -hmm. There are some people that may get on your back about it. And I didn't want them to, so I cut it out. I don't think anyone noticed, to be honest. (laughs) But yeah, you did a really good job. And Michael's editing this one as well. Yeah. and he's editing next week's I am. which is the animal one which gives me a lovely break so I appreciate that as well yeah you're welcome yeah anywho that's all I can say at the moment Kenneth Laster Boy Wonder. P.S. to Michael Bailey. I have to disagree with one half of your Green Lantern Batman statement. In most of the Bat books they started from a rather clean slate. We know the basics. Rich dude Bruce Wayne dresses as a bat, kicks butt and runs around with a dude to have Robin in their name. It's like the 2005 relaunch of Doctor Who. It's a new start but there's some continuity but it's not needed for the story. But with Green Lantern I'm still actively confused. (laughs) Um, I both disagree and agree with that yeah. statement.
2: I agree with the Green
1: Lantern bit. Yes. With the Batman I'm bit. not reading Green Lantern post New I'm 52, not. so I've no idea Damn what's going on. for
2: the bits before,
1: though, Yeah. yeah. Um, with Batman, yeah. There is a lot of continuity. Yes, now. but he's right that Scott Snyder's done a good job of saying, yeah, this is where we are now. Yeah. And yeah. going from there. But there is a lot of continuity foo bar there, isn't it? It's there?
2: still I still think it's today always made more of this more of contradictions S. than yeah. the actual stories have done.
1: Alright, fair enough. But obviously that was to Mike Bailey, not to us. So yes, Mike, Mike can rebut to that.
0: Mm-hmm. And we'll
1: just be intermediaries. We'll be we'll be the pigeons. Yes. <laughs> PPS, sorry if there's misspellings, I've been typing this on my phone and I have large thumbs. <laughs> At least you have a possible thumbs. Unlike some people, we know. And any misspellings, it really doesn't matter in audio, does it? No. Nope. Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody, for your emails. That's it for this week. We didn't get many this week, but the ones that we got were quality. They
2: were. As always. Quality over
1: quantity. Quality over quantity. We're going to take...
2: Quality, lots of quality emails.
1: Yes, in which case they're all quality. Every email we've ever got is quality. Oh, yeah. We've never got... You suck. (laughs) Why do you guys suck so hard? (laughs) To which I would reply, ask your mum. (laughs) I think I've made that joke before, haven't I? But it's never not funny. It's not. We're going to take a quick break. Um J. David Wheater emailed this week, so we'll plug Pad Smash. Okay. Nice. I think it's because like, we plugged Luke Jackanetti like, last week. Yes. And Michael Bailey, you need to make a trailer for views from the Long Box, dude. You really do. Just a generic one that I can play.
2: We'll record our own. Yeah, like Scott did for us. What are you looking at? I don't know. But Luke, there's a view. A view? What view? A view of a long box. <laughs> views from the long box. <laughs> oh, yes.
1: Yeah, very good. It could be a little professional. That trailer will be in here, and we'll be right back.
0: The Hulk on Podcasts.
1: Hulk like podcasts. Hulk listen to podcasts while Hulk
2: smash.
0: The Hulk on Peter David.
2: Hulk like to read Peter David comics. Hulk have problem making words. Hulk write down.
1: Peter David wrote a seminal run on The Incredible Hulk for 12 years. Some of the most provocative, compelling stories came from this era, filled with striking psychological overtones, bold character developments, and sharp humor. Along with artists like Todd McFarlane, Dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took The Incredible Hulk, and the comic book medium as a whole, to new heights.
0: The Hulk on Peter David Podcasts. Uh, Hulk not find Peter David podcasts. Hulk get mad. Hulk smash! Hey folks,
1: in order to appease the rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, looks at the entire Peter David run on the Hulk, issue by issue in a bi-weekly format. Join me, J. David Weeder, on a journey through the saga of Old J. Jaws at www.IncredibleHulkSmash.com. Incredible Hulk and all related characters copyright Marvel Comics. Pad Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris deep-rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self-destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb or anal leakage.
2: one thing before this reboot, other than Brightest Day and the Aftermath Mini. I didn't really have any knowledge in the character, other than he was a dead man reborn as a plant monster, but was then a plant believer and he was a dead man reborn as a dead monster. That makes perfect sense! God damn, Alan Moore. <laughs> the only thing that definitely knew, though, was that after being dead for years, he was now alive and in his own series. And thanks to Travelling Man's buy five, get one free deal with the new 52 firsts, Dad here picked this up from it and, to be honest, wasn't particularly blown away by this issue. It was more of an intro to Superman. And then something gross happened. My interest was raised a bit more. And then I read the ending. And I was a bit confused. And I didn't think it was a great issue. Uh, and, And then... Well, confusion's
1: not necessarily a bad
2: thing. No, it's not. But it is when... You're thinking, ah, it's about Thing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And then I read the next issue and lost interest until the last page, which confused me some more. And then later on there's a mention of the Red and Buddy Baker from Animal Man, another series I was reading and enjoying. And then I read an article on Newsarama, which was an interview with Jeff Lemire, and it told me that the two series were tying together from issue 12, and so I had to carry on reading it, just because they were tying in. And the further in, the more I enjoyed it, as the two were a great, gruesome double bill. Uh, yeah, I suppose we should mention. Uh,
1: Travelling Man had a card system uh-huh. for the first two months that the new Fifty Two was happening. If you bought five comics, they stamped in, you got one free. So that basically did lead to us trying out most of the issue ones, didn't it? I mean, a couple of them have fell by the wayside, and we don't read them anymore. No, we do not. But the Animal Man and Swamp Thing were basically free ones that I bought just because I could. Yeah. And you were the one who basically said, "Carry on buying them for that." So that's why we ended up buying Animal You Man gave me a Thing.
2: set number of comics I could have on a monthly basis. Well, I've,
1: I've only got a limited amount of money. I'm not, you know, Daddy Warbucks <laughs> or Scrooge McDuck. Mm. Um, I suppose, should I mention my Swamp Thing origin? You can mention your Swamp Thing origin. He was in an issue of DC Comics Presents for Superman. That's pretty much all I knew about him. Oh, and that fantastic issue of Hellblazer where John Constantine celebrates his 40th birthday. Mm. Which was fantastic by Garth Ennis. But other than that, well, I'd never you read. Him grow yeah, weed. Yeah, I, I'd never read any swamp. I'd read it Even in the Hellblazer, much the lauded, and Alan Moore issues. I've never
2: read them, so okay, I. If I read them now, there's such a huge disappointment. Yeah, like possibly. every over Alan Moore. So I used to quite enjoy the TV show,
1: but you know, I was a teenager so (laughs) cut me some slack on that (laughs) is that your excuse yeah both films I didn't think were particularly good although one did have Heather Locklear in okay so Heather be that name uh yeah so Swamp Thing number
2: one Michael okay written by Scott Snyder him from Batman and penciled by Yannick Paquette him from Ultimate X-Men Swamp Thing issue one has a cover date of November 2011 but an actual release date of September 7th 2011 Other credits include Nathan Furburn on colours, John Hill on letters, edited by Chris Conroy and Matt Idleton, and was created by Len Reed and Bernie Wrightson. It has three whole covers, by all by Piquet, and uh, shows the swamp thing splashing out of a pond. One variant is coloured red, and the other is slightly washed out. And the issue was entitled, Raised Em Bones. Which is the title of the Treadfair Pack, isn't it? It
1: is indeed. Uh, The cover's fine. It's more like a film poster than a comic book cover, but Venus film posters are pretty dull these days, I suppose, the best we're going to get. Uh, swamp Thing's just kind of coming out of a swamp. As, about, as one would expect. Pretty soon with his hand, though, he's just
0: going... Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's the story, Morning Glory? Well, across the world, large groups of animals are dying out at the same time, and Alec Holland, the late Swamp Thing, is working in a Louisiana at his job as a lumberjack. Elsewhere, fossils in the northwestern Arizona, digging sites are blown away among dead animals and plants, into a large whirlwind. Superman decides to pay Holland a visit to ask about the natural disturbances, to check up on him, see how he's fitting in, now he's human again. Holland says he's fine, and the day he turned back to being human, he completed another batch of his bio-restorative formula that turned him into the swamp thing, and then threw it into the swamp behind his open motel. That night at the excavation site, the... well excavators bicker over the strange (laughs) disappearance of the fossils. As they do so, the mass of bones and dead animals comes alive and one of the scientists crawls up the hill only to find the creature waiting for him. A fly enters his ear and turns his head around a hole 180 degrees. Now dead and under the control of this creature, the scientist chases colleagues back to the jeep before they are killed by the same fashion. The three scientists and the creature walk off into the desert night. Meanwhile, Alec Holland is having a bad dream about his death and resurrection into the Swamp Thing. He wakes up to find his motel room covered in plants. He panics, takes the biorestrative formula, but before he can throw it into the swamp behind a motel, the Swamp Thing stops him.
1: But I thought Alec was Swamp Thing. That's what I thought. Is that why it confused you mm. when
0: you
2: were reading it? Okay, because I thought he was the Swamp Thing. But...
0: Right, okay.
2: On the first page, you notice mm. the red and the green on the pigeon's neck. What does that signify? It will signify um, the red and the green.
0: <laughs> Genius!
1: <laughs> don't you mean the red and the green? Yes. Not just the red and the green. <laughs> no. We will find out what the red and the green we, is we as we will. go along. Yeah. Um, okay, page one. This is something I am going to harp on about. Don't
2: do go on. You
1: know about that, don't you? But I think given the whole nature of the supposed new initiative was trap new readers, as well as lapsed ones, I think it's a valid point. Uh, We're just supposed to know that that's Clark Kent, Lois Lane and Perry White, right? Because the narration tells us jack-all about what we're seeing. Do we
2: need to know? Well, yes! It's
1: kind of important that that's Clark Kent and he's Superman, because...
2: Yeah, okay.
1: Okay, because it doesn't mention it anywhere else. You carry on through the issue and Superman just shows up. And there's
2: no relation. Yeah. If you're a complete new reader, who's this guy in the glasses and what's he got to do with the story? I was going to say everyone knows who Superman is, but in a quiz at my school someone thought Clark Kent works for the Daily Bugle. There you go. Okay.
1: So you don't assume everybody (laughs) knows everything. I'm not saying we should go back to the days of the captions telling us what's in the picture. Mm. Or flatly contradicting what's in the picture. Which was quite common in the Silver Age. Yeah. But at some point, the pictures and the words have to marry up, right? Yes. Okay, Which correct. they're not doing. Which yeah. they're not doing. Again, page two and three is the same deal. I'm saddened by the deaths of the birds and the fishes, but why do these people care? Who are they? How are they relevant to Swamp Thing? Granted, there's a new reader I know who Batman is, because he's the
0: goddamn Batman.
1: But who's the fish guy? Um. Would it have killed them? Do
2: people to- not know who he is thanks to Family Guy? <laughs>
1: Yeah, but a counter-family guy, do you think he's a bit lame? Would it have killed them... Guy wrong. ...to have in Metropolis and a little caption that says Clark Kent Superman, Bruce Wayne Batman, Arthur Curry, Aqua Guy, <laughs> would that have killed them?
2: I suppose not. No. Okay. I suppose uh, they, they would have cared about all the animals dying if they had to clean it up. Can you imagine them, all the effort that Batman has to go through now just to clean, <laughs> to clean the cave? To clean yeah. the cave. Oh, he just gets Alfred to do that, dude. Okay. Alfred, clean the cave. I'm going out for the night. I'm quitting my job. I'm leaving, Master Bruce. <laughs> I'm quitting my job, Master Bruce. Alfred. Oh, yeah, because
1: he's Alfred Cunnyworth now, isn't he? Cunnyworth. Pennyworth. <laughs> he's Michael Okane. You were only supposed <laughs> to blow off the bloody doors. I'll kill all the bloody bats. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing in the cave, Master <laughs> Bruce? Oh, blimey. <laughs> At the apples and pears. I'm going to go and chase Jaws because I need some cash.
2: But I'll get Carter. He's in Jaws now.
1: Yeah, he's in Jaws 4. Oh, Okay. Right. And as, my, as Adam pointed out, Michael Caine's illustrious career. Because the guy's a legend. Yes. Get Carter, the Italian job, the man who would be king. For me, that rubs out all the Poseidon adventures and
0: mm-hmm.
1: Jaws 4s that he did. But
0: to Adam, missile. he's
2: Finn spin- McMissile. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was okay. Fair enough. <laughs> A career distilled. Yes indeed. Uh, page five, panel one, there is indeed Pandora. Just Word chilling. Pandora. She is a Oh so she's behind the pickup truck. Actinol Star yeah, yeah, Yeah yeah. The elephant bones become the structure of the first arcs antagonist. Yeah, they do. Which kind of change later on mm-hmm. eight pages in and I've already learned two lessons about plants yeah. cabbage leaves on hurting knees make them better and wood rot is due to fungi eating cellulose
1: yeah that was good that I quite like that That the, the cabbage leaves reduces swelling
0: yeah
2: I thought that was a little touch. comics is education hmm.
1: comics is an educational tool comics haven't taught me a lesson for a while no, it was good that, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. No flash facts anymore. No. Which is a bit of a shame. Swamp facts. Uh, yeah, a, 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 that kind of useful fact is that useless fact, sorry, is the kind of thing that will come in useful Yeah. in, in one of those great hits
2: of irony that Alanis Morissette never Like all about. those mandroles where you just stole dead batteries and old.
0: Yeah. is <laughs>
2: my man covered. <laughs> <Yeah>. Superman <laughs> looks a bit porky,
0: doesn't
2: he? Mm. Uh, page 8 hasn't mentioned that swamp thing hasn't changed all that much since the brightest day. Um, Holland mentioned dying and becoming Swamp Thing but then waking up one day and being human again so So it could be him being Swamp Thing in the old 52 and waking up as Alec Holland now or it could just be he was Swamp Thing in in the new 52 before we started reading it see
1: having read these opening nine issues I'm more inclined to believe Alec Holland remembers pre 52 continuity so when he was Swamp Thing he was Swamp Thing in the old 52 yeah that's how I I interpreted it Uh, Superman looks a bit porky as I mentioned and he's doing that irritating thing where he just hovers five inches above the ground. Mm. In that I'm a bit superior to you kind of way that irritates me.
2: And then he steps down. Yeah,
1: then at least then he does land to talk to him properly. So mm. I'll give him that. At this point on page nine, we'll just mention how much Superman's costume has completely failed to grow on me and move
2: on. <laughs> uh, page eleven has a reference to Len Wein with Ween Digger.
1: Yeah,
2: on the one hand... I
1: quite like the little references and nods.
2: On the other hand, there's so many. On the other, other like they, they, do, the yeah,
1: they do start to get annoying. But then you've got to think of it from the point of view of new readers probably wouldn't notice them. My only real complaint about them, they're all in different fonts. Hmm. Kind of like they've been added to the art uh, later. Do you know what I mean? Because of the letters. It particular, is, later on, we get a reference to the uh, anatomy lesson, which was an Alan Moore yeah. story arc. And that looks so out of place because it's a different font style that it's almost laughable.
0: Fair
1: enough. Um, All the way through this issue, Superman has one facial expression. The slightly smirky one. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. There's, uh, on this, I don't know what bloody page this is. Uh, Pages 10 and 11, there's one, two, three, four panels on that two pages that are Superman's face properly and they are all exactly the same. I'm not saying Yannick Paquette's not a good artist. (laughs) I'm merely saying, if you look in the mirror, dude, and take a few pictures of you pulling different faces, and then draw them, you're getting paid to be an artist. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Page 15, I quite liked this sequence, on page 15. I liked the scene of the guy twisting his own neck around. Was suitably horrific and very reminiscent of early Vertigo. The story is paced moderately well, and this little sequence and the dream sequence that follow are very good. Apart from that caveat about Superman's face, Paquette's art is effectively moody
2: hmm. throughout this entire issue. Page 19. Mm-hmm. Another reference with John Totten- Totleben. 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 I don't know how you pronounce that. You may be right. The ref- the, the motel. Being called that, yeah. Uh, page twenty-one, another reference. Alex' password, nineteen seventy-one, is the year of Swamp Thing's first appearance. Is it? Mm-hmm. Well,
1: he's older than me. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, all told, it was an adequate first issue in setting up the series. If once again it fell into the same traps as the Justice League, I have no knowledge of Swamp Thing, having never read any of his own series, even the Alan Moore stuff. So in this case, I was the new reader yeah. that DC was aiming well, this so book at. Yeah, um, a moderate success. In that I was interested in Alec Holland and the horror scenes were decently rendered. Mm. So I wouldn't dismiss this as a failure. And certainly as we get in more into it...
2: Would you not say that they're not telling you who they are would make you want to... Yeah, there is
1: that side of it
2: yeah. as well. So yeah, I'll go with that. Issue 2 was again written by Scott Snyder and penciled and inked by Anna Piquet. It was coloured by Nathan Fervor and lettered <laughs> by John Hill and edited by Chris Conroy and Matt Adelson. The cover, by piquet and fur, burners of the swamp thing, jumping, holding Alec, Alec Holland under his arm. The variant cover is the same, but only red.
1: So, are they nodding to the Hulk on both those covers, That. Probably. This is a green one and the red one's the red one. Ha ha. Ha um, I can't tell from that cover if Alec actually wants to be there or not, can you?
2: I don't think he wants no, to. No, because he's
1: clawing at his arm, isn't he? Mm.
2: And I'm looking at that arm and it's really bigger than the other one.
1: Yeah, well... Is it his wanking
0: arm?
2: Oh man <laughs> Carry on The issue is titled When it comes a knocking And goes a little bit like this The Swamp Thing tells Alec About how he was a pilot in World War 2 But was shot down into what he'd been fearing his entire life The Green He crashed and was burned up And the plants wrapped themselves around him And killed him But only so he could be reborn as the Swamp Thing Alec tells him that he's devoted his life to the Green And it got him and his wife killed So he's through with them As he turns to leave, the Swamp Thing stops him in his tracks. Alec makes the Swamp Thing promise that when it's finished telling him his message, and if he still wants to avoid the green, then the Parliament of Trees will leave him alone. The Swamp Thing tells Alec of the green, red, and the rot. It tells him that Setha, king of the rot, has risen and is heading to the Deadlands. It makes his kingdom whilst gathering an army along the way. It also tells him... That there has become a long line of people touched by the Green who sacrificed their human lives to become Swamp Things and protect it. Alec has a special connection to the Green, and the Parliament trees believe that Alec will become the Green's warrior king, who will defeat the rot, and that the fire he believes turned him into the swamp thing only stopped him from becoming it, and that the swamp thing he thought he was was only a creature unknown to the Parliament. As the Swamp Thing dies, Alec tells it he doesn't want to become the Swamp Thing, and it tells him to stay away from the white haired girl he spoke of. As he returns to his hotel room, the owner is zombified and attacks Alec in his room. He tries to escape, but is surrounded by more zombies. He's saved by an unknown woman on a motorbike. Once they reach a safe distance, they stop where the woman reveals herself to be Abigail Arcane, and that she came here to kill him.
1: Uh, it's probably worth pointing out as well that she's the silver-hared girl. Yes, yeah, that is
2: Bobcob. That is Bobcob. But yeah. we don't know that
1: really. Well, she's took her helmet off and she has silver hair. So that's that's kind of a giveaway. Get yeah, okay. If <laughs> you're following the story, that kind of... Oh, look, it's the girl that he mentioned that he should leave away. Oh, well, that's yeah. not gone too well for him, has it? Um, I like the bit with the Spitfires at the beginning. There was a Spitfire in town last week. Was there? Yeah, I took a picture of it. What
2: was it there
1: for? Um, that was some celebration of something. But I love the Spitfire. Mm. Great looking plane. Anyway, moving swiftly on, because we're not a Spitfire podcast. Um... It does a quite a nice job of explaining the green, and that the green is at war with the red. Mm. So I quite liked that all the backstory was handled quite well. Um, I do want to know, is Alec Holland the next in a long line of Swamp Things?
2: Um, no. Say there's a long line of Swamp Things, but him being the Swamp Thing makes him special. Why? Because he, according to the Parliamentary's prophecy, he is the... he will turn into the Swamp Thing that's a warrior, and we'll defeat the Rot. So he's essentially
1: the chosen Swamp Thing? Yes. Whereas the other Swamp Things are just Swamp Things? Yeah. Okay. So he's not a DC legacy character then?
2: Um, No. We're not
1: going to have four different Swamp Things? Like we had four different Green Lanterns? No.
2: He's a special one.
1: Right, fair enough. Um, We mentioned this previously last year, but my personal take on this is Alec Holland remembers his life as Swamp Thing prior to the New 52. Do you disagree with that position? I'm not sure what to think. Oh, it, it, it's plausible. But at the same time, they are playing it, he could just be dreaming. Mm. He was the man that dreamt he was a tree, but now the dream is over. Yes. Or oh, a tree that dreamt he was a man, and now the dream is over. Yes. Something like that. Something like that. Jeff yeah. Goldblum did it better than I did,
0: <laughs> didn't he?
2: Um, again, another reference with Reitz and Diner. Yes. It's named s- after the creator, Bernie Wrightson. And, yes. and it looks like Weird Al sat there on a coffee
1: was Weird Al oh yeah yeah in the window of the rights and down it does look like Weird Al Yankovic yeah I'll give you that
2: and that one looks like a dead headless baby
1: yes yes there's a there's a headless baby because you know we can't get enough decapitation <laughs> uh, there's lots of exposition in this issue isn't there yes about the, the green it's all exposition yeah, pretty much. It's not badly handled, no. to be fair. I mean, if you're going to put exposition in it somewhere... It's exposition, it's got to go somewhere, <laughs> to quote the Muppet Mover. Was well, it The Muppet on The Muppets Take My It was one of them, wasn't it? There's good art to accompany it. Yes, yes, the artwork is, is very moody in it. I'm beginning to think it's Yannick Paquette Just Draws Thick Men thick set men not
2: stupid men mm. because Alec Holland's quite a thick set as well isn't he have you read his seven soldiers bullet work no he can draw women as well can he mm. okay I, I will look into that, that. story is about um, superhero porn sites so moving swiftly on <laughs> from the superhero porn sites uh, when something and Alec travelled through the green I liked how all the trees have faces
1: yeah because doesn't the the par- whole isn't whole the parliament lap. of trees representing something
2: they're the, the
1: group who lead the greenest. And the art across these double-page spreads where he's giving him all the plot exposition because it's exposition and it's got to go somewhere he's really good. Mm. Very nice. Very good indeed. Um, the girl arriving on the motorcycle at the end, who we've established is Abigail R.K., is um, very reminiscent of the Terminator, but you missed a reference. Yeah, with the motorbike. It, it got to the point where I couldn't... Did you get bored? The Bissett Motors is a Steve reference Bissett. to Steve Bissett. Yeah, yeah. Get bored of that, did you? Uh,
2: uh, d- yeah, issue two, and I was bored of references. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, there's many more of them to come. Um, see, I have a problem with Abigail showing up like this. Why? See, she gets here and she says her name, as though we're supposed to know who she is. Now we know he's the White herd girl he spoke of, yeah. Mm. But we don't know if there's anything special with the name. Now I know who she is from in early Hellblazers when they did a tie-in with um, something, but a new reader wouldn't know who she is. Now, in one of those rare reversals of fortune that oft happens on this show,
1: we're going to take completely opposing viewpoints, where I take your viewpoint, and you take mine. Yeah. I will argue that, in the purposes of this story and this issue, we don't need to know who Abigail Arcane is. That name does not mean anything to us at this point, but it doesn't matter, because this is the first part we're meeting her. Yeah. So, I would argue this is actually a very well-written introduction to this character. Because it was seeded earlier in the story when Swamp Thing told Alec Holland that he needs to stay away from the girl with silver hair. Okay. Then at the very end of the issue, a girl shows up and rescues him, who turns out to be the girl with silver hair. And then she tells us her name's Abigail Arcane. Okay. So my argument is, none of that matters. Within the purposes of this story, we're told everything we need to know at this point. Right, so we seem to have switched positions, though. Yes. I don't know how that happened. Um, I liked again. It was a decent issue. I, I wasn't overly confused by it. The plot's moving along nicely. There's a decent mixture of horror and action. The art is pretty. But why isn't this a Vertigo
2: book? Because it feels like a Vertigo book. There is that Yeah. Um, the last
1: couple of pages of this is um, a Lee Bermejo, Bermejo, uh, Batman graphic novel, Noel, which has a truly awful Batman costume doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know what is Burme- drawing though and I'm not disputing the guy's a good artist but God he draws an ugly looking Batman suit. He really does. Anyway, moving swiftly on. That was issue number two. We're
2: getting through these quickly.
1: Yeah, Well, see. I mean, we'll mention this when we do the wrap up but I enjoyed reading all of these but ultimately I didn't have a lot to say about them. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with them.
2: No, it's a pain in the ass reading these on a monthly basis though. Yeah, because it's painfully slow... It is. I read all nine of these in an hour. But after this, there is a really good three-part story arc. Right. Which, so you can do brevity, then. Yes. Swamp Thing issue three was by Scott Snyder, with art by Victor Ibanez and Yannick Paquette, coloured by Nathan Furburn, lettered by John Hill and edited by Chris Conroy and Matt Adelson. The cover by Paquette and Furburn shows Abigail Arcane jumping her bike over the Swamp Thing and blowing his arm and a great big chunk of his side off with a shotgun.
1: See, the cover only says Scott Snyder and Yannick Paquette. It doesn't say the other artist. Mm. Which I'd be a bit miffed if I was Victor Ibenius.
2: Ibenius. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It guess to the point where there's like more than three artists for so long. Yeah, an
1: and see on the one hand you applaud DC for wanting to get the book out on time. Yes. But if Yannick Paquette can't make a monthly schedule, and let's face it, we're only up to issue three
2: here, Yeah,
1: maybe you shouldn't be drawing a monthly
2: book. Rags Morales couldn't make it up to issue 2
1: yeah there is that um, it's a good cover I like the use of orange presumably depicting the sunset and I like the swamp thing getting a huge hole blown through him by Abigail
2: Arcane mm. I quite liked that I like all the little borders at the bottom of the page
1: yeah yes they are good with the uh, the skeleton heads
2: yeah Yeah. it's the same every time it's like, there's always one of those borders on it oh so there is yeah
1: you know I have not noticed that yeah, very good, because all the covers are by Yannick Paquette, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, okay, very good. That one well, there's exception to every rule, isn't there?
2: Mm-hmm. William, a young boy who's kept inside a protective container due to an allergy to chlorophyll, is told by his doctor to make an effort to make friends with some of the other children at the hospital. As other doctors move his container, another child, alongside a group, threatens to rip the container with the fork and kill William. Kill Bill! <laughs> Oh, uh, sorry, carry on. Abigail Ken keeps her shape-shifting gun that's now a shotgun on Alec and says if he, <laughs> if he is the real Alec Holland, then he should prove it before she counts to three. When she reaches three, Alec panics and his eyes shut. When he opens his eyes, Abigail is hovering above him, tied up by the surrounding trees. She tells him that he used his limited control over the green to save And him. he tells her that he's had memories and dreams about her. But she seems different now and asked why she saved him. She needs help, and the two head off to the hospital in the Texas marshland to find a boy who has the power to end the world. At the hospital, William is haunted by the mounted fishes on the wall, who tell him that it is his time to serve. Well I always thought those singing fish were spooky. Yeah. The, uh, the group of bullies from earlier show up and as one pushes the fork into the container, William uses the bully's diseases against them and kills them. William's doctor shows up and he tells him to push the container into his office and to get his scuba gear from the car, whilst he makes them sully cough up his smoker's lungs. On the way there, Abigail tells Alec that her family have a connection to the rot, similar to his connection to the green. But her connection was cut off when she was with the Swamp Thing, but when he left, the connection grew stronger and called out to her and the boy in the hospital. When they reach the hospital, they find that everyone's dead, and Alec asks Abigail how she knew about the boy there. As William walks away with the scuba gear, she tells Alec that she put him there and that the boy is William Arcane. If he connects to the rot, then he will create hell on earth.
1: It's all bubbling along nicely, isn't it? Uh, Pages 1 through 5 were really good. I really like page 1 through 5 of this. The boy in the bubble opening is very, very well handled and really creepy as hell, isn't it? Mm. I really did like it. Um, I like the mentions being given to William as someone who has to live in the protective covering all his life as he's allergic to chlorophyll. Especially chilling is the bully Drew in the hospital where he's staying threatening to burst his bubble with a fork he's stolen from the canteen. Well, you can argue he doesn't actually deserve what happens to him, you can see why William's a bit miffed. Yeah. You can understand it. Uh, the doctor that's treating William is a doctor, Dick Durock. A reference to actor Dick Durock, who not only played an evil version of the Incredible Hulk in a two-part episode of the Bill Bixby series, but perhaps more relevantly, played Swamp Thing in the TV series in
2: the 90s. I old, you get, did not get that one, I, did you? I knew that too, but did you? As I said I couldn't be asked. Did you get did you know? That oh one? yeah, there's a list on Bleeding Cool. Oh <laughs> come on! That's cheating. Yeah. The whole point of the references is you get them yourself. Well when Bleeding Cool doesn't have um a fake article to follow up on.
1: No. I um, think that Darwin Cooks slagged bleed Dritz Johnson off at
2: Comic Con yeah. oh what did he say? I can't
1: remember, it was in his panel. Okay. <laughs> he wasn't impressed for some reason. I don't remember what that reason was, or whose reason. I knew he wasn't to score touchdowns. Yeah. Carry on. The imagery right. on page seven, where Abigail Arcane is counting down to shoot Alec Holland is incredibly tense and very well handled. I thought, where well, he swamped things out when she's going to blow his head off. Mm. I thought that was really good.
2: Well, the first... In a series of continuity errors. Oh, right. Abby Abby has, like, a tech nine or something in the last issue. Yeah. Here she has a shotgun.
1: Well, isn't it a different artist now?
2: No, that's... Is it Yannick Yannick Paquette at the beginning? No, that's Victor Ibanez. Oh, right, so Yannick Yannick Paquette handles the Abigail Arcane
1: scenes. Yeah. Right.
2: Um, Snyder's ramping up the horror here by introducing the psychological horror with William being spoken to by the fish and the bullies and then the creepy-ass horror with the great splash page of the young Abigail skeleton.
1: Yeah, um, you're going to have to explain something to me when I was reading this. Go Is on. Alex Swamp Thing or not? No. Because he says he remembers being Swamp Thing in another life. Yes. But we saw last issue a different Swamp Thing and that the Parliament of Trees are waiting for him to become Swamp Thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But here he's he greens out
2: yeah. For want of he, a better he, phrase. Because of his connection to the green, he has power of the green, so he can control it. Right. But he remembers being a swamp thing, which he was told in the last issue, He that wasn't him. Right. Okay.
1: So he kind of remembers being something that he wasn't.
2: Yeah. Right. Okay. The art transitions between Paquette's, um, Abby, Alec, and Ibanez's... William scenes work well and aren't jarring which is good because the two sure art shows for the rest of the series
1: really. yeah it is one of those things um, I knew two different artists drew this I didn't really notice the difference yeah. mainly because like you said they do handle completely different scenes Paquette is handling the swamp thing Abigail Arcane stuff and Ibanez
2: is handling the other bits. But then when Marco really jumps on Yeah, there is a bit later on where the artwork does become a bit jarring, isn't and it? Then he does an entire issue and then they both take turns on Yeah.
1: There's another reference that we With both the missed. Shotgun. The shotgun has Al on it. Mm-hmm. Alfredo A. who inked a number of issues of Swamp Thing. I did not get that off Bleeding Cool. Did you not? I just spotted it There are a few and I didn't. They
2: only cover like the first three or four issues. <laughs>
1: um and again page seventeen the scene where Swamp Thing and Abigail are making out is a reference to Tom Yeats, who was also an artist on Swamp Thing. Um, I love the bits where William basically turns all the children's illnesses against them. The scene of the little boy and his eyes bleeding is particularly <laughs> icky, isn't it? Yeah, You like that bit, don't you? Because <laughs> you're kind of gross, all it's things considered.
2: Better. Well, there's a call back to Old Swamp Thing here with Long heard Abbey and Old Swamp here. The panel of them making out, kind of, Only kind of reminds me of the Swamp Thing Hellblazer crossover where Swamp Thing swaps bodies with John Constantine so that Alec and Abby can have a child. Right, right. I don't remember that. Was that a Paul Jenkins one? Delano. Jamie Delano. And there's something very creepy about dead children covered in their own insides and a doctor with his lungs hanging out of his mouth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was good on this one. Mm -hmm. I really like that one. I like the stuff with William Arcane. You prefer the horror bits. Yeah, I prefer the William R. Cain stuff to the Swamp Thing stuff. Yeah. See, with the Swamp Thing stuff, I am very much like, oh, get on with it. We know you Swamp Thing, man. It's yeah. like Fat Man Begins, to bring you back to the beginning of the show. It's an hour before you see him become Batman, which is why I said there's a lot of Begins before you get to the Batman. Only in this, there's seven months before you get to
2: the... Yeah, well, thankfully I read it in an hour, so it didn't really matter, did it? Hmm. Issue 4 has a cover of a face of a scuba diver with Swampy in the reflection of the goggles. Paquette's sticking to his little borders at the bottom, which are quite cool. Yeah, especially like the little Swamp Thing (laughs) T-Rexes.
0: Yes!
2: (laughs) The Swamp Thing monkey. And a frog. Excellent! They're they're really good, though. Yeah, I like that. Desert Five O'Clock was written by Scott Snyder, with art by Marco Arruda. It was inked by Rudy also. Uh, Sean Parsons and Michael Lacombe also inks it. It was coloured by David Byron, lettered by Travis Lanham, and edited by Chris Conroy and Matt Idelson.
1: Um, The cover's very good again. Because it's very... Is that your mummy? <laughs> from Doctor Who, isn't it? Yes. gas masks are scary sc- sc- sc-
2: sc- sc- mm. When you can't see the face it's time. You atomic. know, I sleeping for a long time after watching that episode.
1: Are you my mummy?
2: didn't Adam even thought it was hilarious to do that imitation whilst I was trying to go to sleep. Are
1: you my mummy? Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, um, it's great, but once again, Swamp Thing's not in the issue. Is there not some kind of trade descriptions act about having the title character not appear in the comic for an extended period of time? Probably not.
2: Alright, All right, well, tell us what this one's about, young Michael. William visits a diner in western Texas, where he orders a milkshake. When the man behind the bird gets the order wrong, William controls the arthritis in the man's hand and kills him, and then kills everyone else in the diner. He sits and drinks his milkshake, and then leaves. What a peach. Mm. Alec and Abby leave the hospital and decide to get a few hours sleep on the grass, as it would be safer than in a cabin. Alec falls asleep and sees Seth in the kingdom. He then talks to the palimetry trees at their lure in the Brazilian jungles. He tells them that he refuses to work for them as he sacrificed enough of them. The trees show him all the battles between the green and the rot throughout history and say that the greatest warrior can only be found in man. They tell him about all the other men and women that became the Swamp Thing, but Alec is the chosen one to be the warrior king, but he still refuses. Tree tell him that they will fight on their own then, but Abby will soon serve the rot, and if he decides to stay with her, then she will be at the death of him. They tell him to kill her. The two wake up. Alec is surrounded by flowers and butterflies. Abby is surrounded by dirt and flies. Whilst they were sleeping, the elements were trying to take hold of them. Alec sees a note as Abby prefers to leave. He tells her that he's going with her, and after an argument, she lets him come. The two ride off, and she tells him to watch out for anything that homes anything dead, cemeteries or mugs. As they drive, they miss a great big sign that says they're heading towards the largest meat processing plant (laughs) in the nation.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, the beginning of this one, where William walks into the diner, has some wonderful dialogue. My favourite's been, you come from a hospital or something, sir?" Yes, I was a patient at the Shepherd Institute in Buford, sir, but I left. You left? That's right. Beaufort's fifteen miles down road. You telling me you walked here? Yes, sir. And the blood on your PJs? Oh that isn't
2: mine. Well don't that make me feel better. <laughs> oh that was brilliant. There's another continuity error here. With um in the last issue. Yeah. Alec and Abba reach the hospital and William leaves it at night. Yeah. Okay. William is at the diner in daylight and we're told it's fifteen miles away from the hospital. But back at the hospital, it's night again. So it is.
1: Unless it's... Well, yeah, because they're on a motorbike, aren't they? So it's not took them an entire day to travel 15 miles. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, the timeline's a bit skew there, isn't it? Just a bit. Yeah. See, I've never read Swamp Thing. Uh, I am unaware of the arcanes and their relationships with each other. And this series of stories doesn't do a particularly good job of explaining it, but here's what I'm getting. This new timeline, this new 52 initiative, is nothing of the sort. Alec Holland remembers his Pastor Swamp Thing, remembers being in a relationship with Abigail Arcane. Now, having read Flashpoint, I understand a little better what the Flash did was essentially fold a number of different timelines together to create a new one where some things are different Mm -hmm. and some things are the same. But again, we come back to the question, is this really a new timeline? I would say no. Because I think DC have built in a bit of a trapdoor here.
2: It's the same timeline, but different.
1: Yeah, whereas in case this completely failed... They have a backdoor to... They had a backdoor, yeah. Which was a bit of a cop-out, really. Mm. To be honest with you. Uh, Alex dream sequence is really good. Filling out some backstory on the, the rot... And moving the story forward at the same time. When dream sequence are integral to plot, I like them. And this is quite tantalising. I especially like the panel where Alec wakes up. And on his side, it's all flowers and birds singing and little blue things dressing him like in Mary Poppins. Uh, like he was in Snow White. Yeah, like he's in Snow White. That's the one. And Abby's side's all dead and rotten. Yeah. I quite like that. I
2: thought that was really good. Uh, there's more foreshadowing and references. Alec talks to the trees. They <laughs> mentioned the red which is Buddy Baker's element in Animal Man. Uh, the polymeter tree's location is the Brazilian jungles and I'd be serving the rot. And the tree of rot and green shows someone who looks like a Canadian ranger as a servant of the rot. I may be reading too much into this, but this could be a call to the animal annual that hadn't been written yet.
1: I know, but if they've plotted it that far ahead... Which they had when I spoke to Jeff there, When you spoke
2: to Jeff Lemire. I spoke to Jeff there. And I knew that the two were crossing over, so I asked him about it, and he said it would be starting with issue 12, and that they'd already written that far ahead of them. Right.
1: Alright, so he's, he's obviously planned it all in advance. Then. Mm-hmm. Where, was, where did we see Jeff Lemaitre? Thought Bubble. Right, okay. But signed oh, yeah, my, you've, you've yeah. got Animal Man signed, haven't you? Yep. Alright,
2: very good. Okay, moving swiftly on. Something issue 5 has a cover of Alec using the green to kill a six-legged zombie pig. It's a variant cover of the currently trending landscape covers that show the original artwork.
1: Yeah, they they are trending, aren't they? Mm. Uh, Zombie animals are always scary, perhaps even scurrier than zombie people. So the pig attacking Alec is really good. The zombie chickens in the background (laughs) (laughs) were funny as well. You remember the chickens from Sesame Street? was it the Muppets? With the chickens in the Muppets, wasn't
2: it? Written by Snyder and Paquette. Back in Art due to Dead Meat, was brought to you by Nathan Furburn on Colours. Travis Lanham on letters and edited by Chris Conroy and Matt Adelson. Deep in the Brazilian jungles, the professor is led by a tour guide before being stopped by the Terran tribe who own this sacred part of the jungle. The professor then rips open his shirt revealing his rotten chest and unleashes flies upon the tribe and the guide, zombifying them. On the way to the Deadlands, Abby and Alec raid a convenience store where he says the green is getting quieter and she says the rot's getting louder. He also picks up a can of peaches because they're her favourite and because they play an important part of the story. <laughs> when they leave, they encounter William and a horde of undead animals. The animals rush for Alec whilst Abby tries to stop William. Alec uses the green and kills the animals for good and makes a tree grow around William to stop him. Alec patches Abby's ruins as they kiss. the perimeter trees is burned down.
1: <gasps> um, page one through four uh, is again showing the rot. And um, the guys are snapping their own heads. In quite
2: a creepy way. In
1: quite a creepy way, yeah. 15, 20 years ago, this would have still been a vertical book.
2: Mm. Uh, page the only six. reason it's not a vertical book is because of the New 52 wanting to bring back old characters. Though.
1: Right. Page 56. Is Diggles a reference to somebody, Andy, Andy Diggle. Diggle. So there's another reference. Mm-hmm. And then there's Anatomy Lesson Trading Cards. We see what I mean about that. Where are those ones?
0: Uh. Oh, right, yeah.
1: And the font stands out because yeah. it looks like it was done later so it kind of calls attention to itself um Alec keeps referencing pre-52 continuity hmm. so I'm standing by my theory that he remembers it all okay um page 7 and 8 zombie cows <laughs> I refer you to the cover yeah zombie
2: animals equals scurry it's a pretty good two page spread the back to kicks and ass after we ate the uh, the brothers oh. see how much oxygen is in William's mask because surely it would have emptied by now. Um, yeah, your mum it's went been through about a full canister
1: when we were having you. So that's a couple of hours. He's been wearing it for two days. Isn't yeah, it? so...
2: Yeah. Well, for him he has. For Alec and Abby, it's only been a night. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, the Pasco Diner. Who's There's that? another one, Marty Pasco. Alright. Oh, uh, page 11 through 14, the scene where Alec taps into the green and hulks out is really quite gruesome, especially when he turns the cows to shreds. It's
2: a three-headed cow. Yes. <laughs> See, the, the three-headed cow isn't much for a stretch, considering that there is real two-headed cows. Yeah,
0: there is,
2: yeah. Mm. Uh, Alec has green eyes here as well, something he learned from Superman.
1: Yeah, um, more references. Corbin, Redondo and Berger. And nods to Karen Berger, Nesta, Redondo and Richard Corbin. Oh, is that it? Is that all we've got <laughs> for that yeah, one? apparently. Oh, right. Okay, we didn't really apparently have a lot to say with that. Although, the end of this one where Alec and Abigail kiss, William gets
2: quite excited about that. No, he gets excited because the, the the rot burned down the polymers Trees. Yeah. The rot's winning, dude. Unless he's getting excited that his sister good before he did. Well, he is only about eight. Is it his sister? Uh, I presume so. And I
1: presume Thingy are his dad. Is it Anton after? Um,
2: no, that's the, um He would mentioned before that it's her grandfather. Right, a grandfather. And okay. he's what the two-story arc's about. Right, that follows this. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, I say it's a two-issue story arc, actually mean it's currently an 11-issue story arc. Yeah. The cover for issue six shows Alec turning into the swamp thing whilst Abby's taken by the rot. It also had another one of those landscape-ringial art variants.
1: Yeah, um, the cover for this one's not as good as the previous ones. It's lacking the border at the bottom, Mm. which is a bit disappointing.
2: It's not bad,
1: but it has Alec's arms becoming all swampy as Abigail is sucked into the rot. It's alright. It's a kind of phrase.
2: Uh, the Black Queen was presented to you by Snyder, Rudy and Val Staples. And Lee Loffridge and Colours. Lanham and Letters and Chris Conroy and Matt Alderson edit him. Alec hears the perimeter trees calling out to him in fear whilst Abby is taken by the rot. In Brazil, the scientists burn down the trees... The rot takes Abby and Alec is attacked by flying dead people things. (laughs) (laughs) Flying dead people things. Yeah, so he escapes on the motorbike. He makes it to a swamp and is told by the palmist trees that he's too late. Then he is stabbed in the back by a zombie.
1: Uh, um, I didn't really have a page-by-page breakdown on this issue. It's just one quick story. Yeah, it starts and keeps going. And the art style changes... Again, it's not overtly off-putting, but you know what I realised? Go on. This is Superman 2. Okay. It's exactly the same story. Swamp Thing has renounced his powers and no longer wants the responsibility. But when his female acquaintance is threatened and the free world is about to be brought to its knees, the titular hero is required to go back to the source of his power and beg for that power to be given back so that he can save the world. Okay. It is, isn't it? (laughs) It's Superman 2. It's exactly the same
2: plot. Uh, so there's not really much to say about this one. It's Nice advert for Arkham City. The toys. Yeah. It is when you notice that two of them are all pasted in from the game. That isn't the real Rachel Ghoul toy, and that isn't the real Batman toy, and I'm still not sure about the Azrael one.
1: No, yeah, it's stills from the game, isn't it? Or um, pre-production stills,
2: yeah. It's not really much to say about this one. It's the middle bit. That is one <laughs> page that's important and nothing else. It was a good read. Yeah. Sethe's Kingdom made of people is quite creepy and Alec's death does lead to a bit of despair but what it also suggests is that his death could be similar to his previous death right what was his and, previous death well he burned up and became the Swamp Thing right it's what he be- could become after this death fair enough hmm. well, it could have been DC ended it at issue 7 and Alec Holland dies
1: why was that the cut off point for books that weren't selling very well 7 issues
2: Um. I'm not sure when the second wave came out right because they did well, there's been four,
1: three or four issues of Earth 2 now, hasn't there? Hmm. So, four months. And they've been going now for... we up to issue 11 so of Earth Seven. seven yeah.
2: So, yeah, the cut-off point for unsuccessful store, uh, titles seems to be six or seven issues. Hmm. The Swamp Thing issue 7 has a cover uh, of the Swamp Thing Rising, surrounded by a 2001 light show. Yeah. It's also supported a landscape, Black like and White variant.
1: Yeah. The cover looks like Swamp Thing's praying... Yeah. Or he's holding the logo.
2: Well... One of the two. The cover is a lot better, if you take everything off it. Is it? Yeah, there's a cover on the internet of just the cover, without the swamp thing, without the price and the number, and certainly without that uh, killer We Can Be Heroes banner.
1: Well... See, I don't mind that too much because at least it's
2: a charitable organisation. But when you get to the back, it's not. Go to Toys R Us; you can have two hundred fifty dollars. There's a two-page splash advertising that charity at the back. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, at least it's
1: not an advert for the Dark Knight Rises.
2: Well, there wouldn't be one, yeah. Um, but we get that at
1: the top of a couple of, in a couple of issues. Time. No.
2: Do yeah. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I think that that's a lot better cover. Oh uh, yeah, I like the psychedelic background. Mm. Swamp thing. That's. The name of the issue was done by, as usual, Snyder, Paquette, Furburn, Lanham, Conroy and Idleson. The zombies brutally beat Ale- Alec until he almost dies. The last dying member of the Perlmutter Tree saves Alec with the last of his power, but only to prolong his pain for failing the green. They show him Abby being carried to the Deadlands to serve Zephyr. Alec tells the trees to break the biorespirative vial before he changes his mind, even if it does mean he can never become human again. The restorative formula is soaked up by the green and the plants kill and enter Alec's body. He rises after becoming the monster he refused to be. With the raise of a finger, he kills all the zombies, grows wings, and flies away. Um, and that's the end of the trade paperback. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a bit of a disappointment? It would.
1: Going back to this single issue, I love the page layouts in this issue. Yeah. Each page or double page spread is very well drawn, even though there's no traditional panel layout. It's very easy to follow the action and the dialogue. It's really good, isn't it? The art in this one. Is this Piquette p... pi- on his own? This is Piquette on his own, yeah. because yeah, the panel layouts in this one, such as the art, are really effective and very easy to follow. It's very, very good. I commend the artwork. Mm.
2: I especially like that the scratchy Abigail. Yeah, and
1: it's kind of a negative image of Abigail, isn't it? Disappearing mm. into the rot. Yeah, it's very. the artwork's very good.
2: Yeah. There's more mentions of the red here than the mention that the red and the green may possibly be fighting each other, even though they be, become allies to fight the rock. And more decapitated baby but heads. More
1: decapitated baby heads. Yes,
2: which is what you want. Uh, the transformation scene is well done, but very gross and looks very...
1: Yeah, because it's... it's it isn't just a transformation,
2: a Hulk-like transformation, is it? It's yeah. from the inside out. So they seen the vines grow into his bloodstream and chest and brain. Yeah,
1: and he's, he does his corpuscles. and yeah, it's it's it is quite icky hmm. before he becomes Swamp Thing.
2: Um, Why has he
1: got horns? <laughs> he's got antlers. Yeah, that's what I meant. Why has he got antlers? Um, I like how he kills everybody. He raises his fingers and shoots his fingernails at them. Yeah. yeah. Um that said, I do think Alec Holland becoming Swamp think five pages from the end of issue seven is an enormous ask of your audience. I recognise the need for pacing and build-up. I acknowledge it's 45 minutes into Superman before we see Christopher Reeve in the suit. Yeah. It's about 55 minutes into Batman Begins before we see Batman. But to ask your readers to go through 140 pages before they even see the proper true title character is a bit of a patient stretcher. And I'm not the most patient man at the best of times, am I? Not really. Let's be honest. Uh, Granted a good writer can pull this off.
2: Well imagine reading it on a monthly basis.
1: (laughs) Well I didn't so I, I can ignore that. But like I say Ian Fleming pulled it off In From Russia With Love, which goes through almost half of the boot before Bond appears. Mm -hmm. And one of the best episodes of Lois and Clark, The Green Green Glow of Home, Season 1, Episode 9, Burley has Superman in it, and is one of the best episodes of the series. So it's not to say this wasn't good, it was a perfectly serviceable read, it was entertaining and suitably horrific in places, with some very decent imagery and artwork. The change in artists was never too jarring. And I appreciate DC trying to keep the books on schedule. But I do think if I'd bought this as a trade paperback, I think I'd ultimately be a bit disappointed that I got to the end of a seven-issue trade paperback and the story wasn't finished. Mm-hmm. As a monthly serialised read, this is slightly less upsetting. Because presumably you're in it for the long haul at this point. Yeah, You've decided you like the book. You're going to buy it every week. It's... It's it's alright, the story is obviously a large sprawling epic designed to completely reinvent Swamp thing for a new readership and by and large it succeeds. It's a vertigo book in you know, all
2: but name. Yeah. That's pretty much what I'm I'm gonna say. I, I don't think it's Snyder's A game. You know. No, I think Batman at the moment is its A game and this is the bits you scratch out the jaw. <laughs> So why are you enjoying this so much then? What, what's appealing to you about I it? I think it's very good. Right. It's it's very, very good. And then you realise this is Scott Snyder, the same bloke who's writing that really, really good story over in Batman. And it's made you a Scott Snyder fan? Well, there is that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, it's fair. I'm not... I didn't not like it. It's not as good as Animal Man. Right. They're both the same story, which makes
1: it a bit better. Right, well, I'm looking forward to Animal Man next week. Yes. I get to read that. How many issues of that am I reading?
2: Five. Right. That's the first story. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, this may be the end of the graphic novel, mm-hmm. but it's not the end of the first story arc. Despite being the end of the graphic novel. Despite being the end of the <laughs> novel. Issues 8 and 9 show the Swamp Thing fly over to the Deadlands to kick some ass, but Abby, who's now a giant monster thing, tries to eat Swamp Thing. But then he uses the peaches she ate earlier to make her alright again. This really happens! Yes. <laughs> Setha beats Swamp Thing and gets thrown out of the way so that Abby uses the green and the rot to kill Setha. Reunited Swamp Thing and Abbey leave while William prays to Setha, who is now dead, and also calls upon Anton Arcane. The
1: stuff with the peaches is actually sold a lot better in the actual comic, isn't it? It's yes. not as dopey as we made it sound in no, that it, synopsis. There is an explanation it for why the
2: peaches work. Because of the plants and the plants yeah. growing, yeah. And while this may be the end of the first story arc, Swamp Thing's story still continues straight with the next two issues. They don't stop. Nope. Um. Anton Arcane... Returns. Um, returns and the story culminates with the long awaited crossover with next week's spotlight character. Yes,
1: so essentially,
2: issue 7, 8, and 9 was not the end.
1: No. The story continues to go, doesn't
2: it? Yes, it, and it's very definitely had the end of its whichever story arc you want to call it now. The first one, yeah. the Parliament of Trees. It's, I think it's having a little interlude with Anton Ake. Next month. Then it's ish zero month, and yeah. then the crossover starts.
1: What are they going to do for zero month for Swamp Thing, seeing as this is his origin?
2: Um, I think it's some spotlighting Anton and Alec. Right. Prior to him being Swamp Thing. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh,
1: yeah, okay, next week, a uh, new 52 month spirals ever onward. Yes. As it we is. look at Animal Man. Is that your favourite new 52 book? Yes. Okay, fair enough. Um, that's it for this week, then. It is. We it hope is. you enjoyed it. Uh, it's another Debbie Downer this week, oh. as we end. Mm. Um, as I learned today of the sad death of actress Murray Tam, better known to Doctor Who fans, has the first Romana Navratna Lunda, who was just called Romana for short, <laughs> companion to the mighty Tom Baker incarnation of the Doctor. She was in... The season that comprised the key to time, which had the Douglas Adam penned the pirate planet and the utterly wonderful The Stones of Blood with the Ogreys. It was a great season and it was very sad to hear of the death of Miss Tam, who was Romana for a number of us before she regenerated into Lala Ward. So this week we're going to close out with the theme from Doctor Who. Rest in peace, Miss Tam. And we'll be back next week with Animal Man.
0: Yes,
2: indeed.
1: It. Thanks for listening. Thanks for emailing in. Facebook us, you know you want to. Hit two true freaks. Give them money so they can go to star our celebration and download our old episodes while you're there. Bye. Goodbye. Hey, kids. Comics is a the devil will make work for idle hands to do production. And all opinions expressed in the show by Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. Old episodes of the show can now be found on the Two True Freaks internet radio network at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. So if you're one of those people who'd be wanting to know where all our old shows are, that's where you'll find them. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday, currently at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on, by using Hey Kids as the first name, and Comics as the surname. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics that we've covered this week. That's www.haykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions on hey Kids comics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you
0: can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.